okay, so I suppose this is our X episode. I don't know what the number is uh, of the Rotten Core podcast. Um, hello to all the listeners, return listeners, and first timers. Uh, today is uh, round two, uh, second episode follow up of the Starbucks interview. Uh, first, we had with Jason, and now Jason's back on. We also have a fellow union member um, of Jason's named Jake. Do y'all want to introduce yourselves again to the audience? Yeah. So, again, my name's J- Jason. I won't say my name's Jake. I don't know why. Anywho, my name's Jason. Um, Jake is uh, a fellow organizing committee member. Um, he can introduce himself. Oh, yeah, I, I'm Jake. Uh, I've worked with Jason since, you know, December of 2020, and we went through the entire unionization process together. So um excited to see what happens on this podcast, see what we talk about today. Cool. Uh, you said, okay, you, you started working with Jason December of 2020. When did the union effort begin? Um, so the way that I remember it is that uh, we started to notice that there were a lot of like there were there were the union stores in Buffalo, which were the first ones in the United States to get unionized. Uh, we started seeing them pop up and me and Jason were like, huh, be kind of cool. Like while we were closing, we just kind of casually talk about it. And then uh, I remember the the catalyst was in, I think, December 2021. I went up to Jason and I asked him, um, hey, I, I looked up recently. I was like, I was curious how many Frappuccinos I get paid per hour. Um, <laughs> and then I looked at it and I think it was like two grande Frappuccinos per hour was my pay rate. And so I told Jason to look at it, too. And then he was like, oh, I don't like this. And then we started to actually like start doing research and everything for the actual unionization. You know, Jason did a lot of the heavy lifting. I'm not going to take credit for that. But um, yeah, I think it was around uh, April of 2022 this year um, that we started to actually like get the ball rolling and get everyone uh, informed about it. And then we came forward at around that time too. Was the, was the Frappuccino conversation the first kind of conversation y'all had about unionizing or had y'all been talking about kind of like antagonisms with the boss before then? Uh, we had talked about unionization before then. Uh, again, with the Buffalo thing, we were, we, me and Jason are already pretty far left and in tune with that kind of stuff. So, you know, we, we, we were like, that'd be interesting to do. And it was the, the Frappuccino conversations when we actually started to get serious about it. And Jason was like, you know, I actually want to do this now. Um, but yeah, we had been just like offhandedly mentioning it. And then we actually started putting in the work for it after that. Okay. So you say, you say that uh, you and Jason are both pretty far left. I think last time Jason was on with us, we talked a, a little bit about anarchism. Um, what, where would you place yourself on the left? How, like how far left exactly? Um, okay. So I don't really know like the actual term that I would describe myself as. Like you can give me a hundred issues and I'll tell you what I think about them. When it comes to actually finding the terms like anarchism or something, I, I like like when Jason told me that uh, he was like a social anarchist, I think it was. I was like, okay, cool, and then I looked it up to see what it meant because I didn't actually know, so I couldn't define myself like that accurately. I think that's 
that's totally okay too though because i mean i feel like i i feel like i constantly like get confused with like the nuances and differences but the general thing is like what you said you could talk about we could bring up tons of issues you can tell us what you think about it and i feel like no matter what like flavor you fall under and like being a leftist as long as you're doing things that um if if it's important to you to do things as long as you're doing things that like align with your values your beliefs like your politics it doesn't matter because i honestly sometimes i call myself different things depending on who i'm talking to because it might be easier like it might be easier to tell like my parents that I'm a socialist, even though I might be more anarcho communist because they they were born in the sixties and seventies, so communism scares them heavily. Um but yeah, that that's that's totally cool too, because you know, like I said, it's it's all about just like as long as you know what you're doing and you know like what you care about, it doesn't matter. A lefty's a lefty. I'm probably gonna offend people by saying that. <laughs> I'm gonna film offend the MLs in the chat and uh, in the in the audience, but yeah. <laughs> no, I I agree. I think a lot of these labels uh, they came about during a different time with a different social and political material context that we do not live in today. I mean, there's a lot of things that are similar, but there's a lot of things that are different too, and these a lot of times these labels are kind of like have nothing to do really with the struggles that we're facing because we're just so decontextualized from the the real movements that made it up these labels or that these labels belong to so i mean yeah for sure there's no i don't think there's any real pressure to identify with any particular label especially because i think here in the u.s at least in in the imperial core there's a lot of um i don't know there's a lot of room for us to come up in and redefine things for ourselves if that makes sense but anyway uh so let's continue on talking about the uh union activity um jake you had said that y'all had started conversations whenever you saw that other Starbucks were unionizing. Is that, that's correct. So was it, were, were you having these conversations just between the two of you or were there any other workers involved in these conversations? Um, okay. So when it came to the conversations we were having, uh, I, a lot of the people who are on the organizing committee, or at least a couple of them I know, uh, are people I work with pretty regularly uh, as a closing shift. And, you know, with the closing shift, they, the, the, the managers aren't trying to stay till 9 p.m. And so we were able to have open conversations without, you know, being too worried that, you know, the big eye in the sky would come down to smite us for wanting to have a collective voice. Um, so we were able to have pretty open conversations and basically anyone who I knew would listen, which was everyone I work with at closing because we're pretty close knit. Uh, I talked about unionization in some form or another, just talking about how cool it would be. But mainly it was with me and Jason were like the main two ones. And offhandedly, I would mention it to people like uh, some of the other shift managers I worked with. I see. Um, Key, do you do you have any follow-up questions you want to interject in here? Because I, I don't want to be the only one asking questions. <laughs> yeah, I, I, um... Well, I guess like, so, okay, I know that, okay, I, I don't want to be asking the same questions, but seeing other Starbucks unionized, did, then 
y'all then kind of go and like look at what they did and like read articles or like see what they did or you just kind of heard about it and, be, and then you were like how could we get this stuff done and like I guess I'm more curious about the steps as much as you can tell us obviously um about like what you took so it sounds like you know you y'all are both in like generally like leftist generally like thinking about these things anyway these are things that are important to you and then you see that other starbucks across the country are doing it so you're like okay it's possible then you're talking to all your night shift or closing shift people because you know it's a lot less pressure like you said the managers don't stay as late as the workers usually um and so like what were the steps are there stuff steps in between that or like research or stuff like that um either one of y'all feel free to answer So for, for me personally, I did a, a little research, uh, but I, again, I didn't do as much of the heavy lifting as Jason did. So he'd be more well-equipped to answer what uh, research he put into actually putting forward the steps to unionization. I just, I just knew what I knew based off of what I saw on Twitter from some of the workers that I saw pop up who had unionized and stuff like that. It just kind of got me interested, but I never actually did more than surface level research. Yes. Shout out to, um, Starbucks Workers United on Twitter, they actually sent me a bunch of stuff like uh, packets and stuff like that, talking about what happened in Buffalo, what their responses were, what they did, um, how they handled the whole organizing and everything. And then it was talking about what happened in like Arizona and stuff like that. And so I was definitely well equipped to, the union definitely provided me with enough knowledge to be able to be like, okay, guys, this is what I want to try and do. This is what we can like expect from Starbucks as a response. And this is what we're going to do in response to them doing that and go forward from there. Did they, whenever they gave you a bunch of information, uh, did they guide you? Did they do like any kind of like training on you or anything to like teach you how to, how to go about unionizing and getting people involved and everything i would say it was well i guess it was training so i did a zoom call with someone who i believe is in like philadelphia or something like that um their name is alex they were really cool really nice they um they broke every single step down to me and told me like hey so like this part where you're forming your organizing committee and you're talking one-on-one -on -one with people and you're spreading the word, you're getting cards signed. This part needs to be in, in secret. You don't want to go public until you have already got those cards signed and you've already filed. Um, and so it was, it was a little bit of training. It was like an hour long conversation. And it was really just us like complaining about Starbucks, but also complaining about companies at large and talking about the steps. Um, did they do AEIOU? Uh, did they have like an AEIOU framework? You know what I'm talking about? No. Okay. I, I just want to know. So it, it, just for anybody who's curious, um, it's a common uh, unionize, unionizing framework. Um, it's, it, it's, it's just based on the vowels AEIOU, agitate, educate, inoculate, or uh, unionize, organize, right? Um, and it's just a it's just a it's just a rubric you know to follow like you you first want to find out what the problem is that's the agitation then you want to talk about solutions to the problem that's the education 
you want to talk about challenges that are going to come up. That's the inoculation. Um, and then, you know, unionize, organize, um, organize, unionize. I'm dyslexic. Leave me alone. <laughs> anyway, uh, but no, I, uh, I, so what, how many steps were there to what the framework that they gave you? And could you go into maybe some more detail about what it was? Uh, yeah, I actually have, they sent me this, um, like PDF of all the steps. Um, let me see if I can find it real quick. But basically, it was the very first thing was just like, do your homework, do your research. And I guess, in a sense, they did like, follow the AEIOU um, method. And I just didn't know it at the time. Um, because that was kind of the procedure they went through. Um, they yeah, just, yeah. That's what it was. Um, but let's see if I can find that real quick. But yeah, so the first step was like homework, research, find out as much information as humanly possible um, about what the union can offer, but why we should unionize, you know, especially because I feel like with what, with everything that's going on, you look at Twitter and how much it's talked about, you know, the great resignation or whatever, um, there's this feeling of wanting to unionize and it might be like a trend, but like trends don't last. So you want to make sure you're doing something that is going to be long lasting and sufficient. Um, but first step was homework that consisted of identify potential community slash labor allies, create list of key issues, map your workplace, conduct research on employer and acquire full list of employees and contact info. The next step was form a committee. Establish roles on organizing committee and peer to peer mentorship, assess co assess coworkers, uh, establish communication system, um, refine work site and social maps, practice one on ones and train leaders, recruit social leaders to organizing committee. And the homework one and the forming committee one, I did at the same time. I just felt it would be easier. Um, that way, at least we're progressing and moving forward with it before anyone finds out because I'm already having those conversations with people. Um, and then increased support is the third step, and it's like the final step in the part where you're underground. And in that step, you want to launch visibility actions. So like things like we did a potluck so people from the store could come, but we did it at the park as well. So like people could see us out there and be like, what's happening here? Maybe who knows? Um, activate needed allies and supporters, go public with the majority, reach 65% card signers inoculate your coworkers and continue one-on-ones and prepare message campaigns. And that's the last step for the underground. For once we go public, you know, you're still increasing support, but you're demanding recognition. So you continue to mobilize workers and allies, continue public campaign, frame choice as workers versus bosses, counter anti-union campaign inflated by, uh, not inflated, initiated by employer, Prepare and implement six-week plan, including get-out-the-vote strategy, and decide path to recognition, election, voluntary, or strike. And then the final step is negotiate a contract, which is technically what we're in right now. This month, we are supposed to start bargaining, but there has been no word, at least that I am aware of, that Starbucks is prepared to start bargaining with us this month. Um, but with that, Identify and recruit external organizing arm of contract campaign. Plan and implement a one-year contract campaign. 
move into training and ed educational bargaining committee, begin initial survey of member priorities, improve communication systems to cover entire workforce, and elect bargaining committee from workforce. And that was the final step. That was very thorough uh, and very, it was very interesting to see, uh, you know, the way that they structured that. Um, I honestly have never, I, I don't know, it's the first time I've been exposed to this particular thing, so I don't really have uh, much to say on it, except that I probably need to read this. Uh, if you, could you uh, link us those, uh, that those steps, um, and we're probably going to try to provide this information to our listeners, if if that's okay with you. Um, if not, I mean, you know, if if you don't want us to share that information, that's fine. But that's kind of our goal. I don't know. I absolutely want you to share it. I okay, think it's cool. A great tool, and it's something I sent my organizing committee like in the very beginning. That way, they'd yeah. be in on the steps as well. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, if you could, if you could share share that with us, um, and I definitely want to like, like read over that and study it and like try to internalize what they have there. But I do have some questions about it. Um, not a whole lot of particular questions. I think really just a general question about like, were there any of these steps that were particularly difficult for you? Uh, any anywhere where there maybe either the training that they gave you or the step that they gave you was like insufficient and you had to kind of like make stuff up as you went along or come up with a, you know, do an un unexpected challenge or are, were any of these steps just like particularly like innately hard, you know, like what are, what, what are the, what were the difficulties, the, the hardest, maybe top two points of this? I would say the hardest top two would probably be the one-on-ones with people and the getting the card signed and getting that up to 65% or greater. And it was only difficult because I'm a mid-shift. Jake typically works closes. So trying to get with everyone and have that conversation, but also not feel like burnt out from having to talk to not just customers, but my employees about something that they either know a little bit about or nothing about or a great deal about. And just having that one-on-one -on -one and not feeling like I'm just repeating myself to every person and not changing it to appeal to the person. And then the card signed, it was just getting card signed. It's like, that's public. People can see you signing a card and trying to do that where a manager cannot see it. So. Most of the cards that I got signed, I didn't get them signed until the manager was either gone for it the day or I knew the manager wasn't going to be there that day. Yeah. But okay. that one was especially hard because they assumed that it was happening in our districts early on. And so I was just like, okay, well, I can't get any card signed because they know this is coming, coming or they think it's coming. Uh oh, I think we lost key. Oh, she's back. Um, well, Key, if you if you have anything that you want to say, feel free to jump in, jump over me. I do. Um, really quick. Okay, go for it. Um, 
this doesn't have a lot to do with the bulk of what you said when you're explaining the processes and explaining like the, well, okay. First of all, I guess it's a statement, which is, I think it's really cool that you were like able to reach out directly to another Starbucks who had already done this and like a Starbucks union things through social media and be like, Hey, this is something I want to do. And they were extremely willing and helpful to like, give you tons of like information, uh, packets, like basically give you the whole setup. Like, I think that's really cool. Um, but the other thing I want to say is you said something that, like I wrote down because I, I hadn't heard of it. You said, I don't know. Can y'all hear me? Yes. Yes, we can. Okay. I'm sorry. Producer just couldn't hear me. Oh. Okay. But well, it's fine. I'll keep going. Um, What I was going to say is the... You said something about like the the great resignation that you said uh, like is a thing that being talked about on Twitter. I want to know is that because I've never heard of it and I, I don't really use Twitter that often. Is that like kind of a concept of like the exhaustion that like among workers and folks you know working more and earning less than previous generations? Is it that because it seems like like you said unions are cool and they are a trend and people want to do it but trends don't last it's like you know fashion cycles they trends come and go really quickly so is is the great resignation is this like kind of concept just about like how people want to do stuff in theory or they might even start doing stuff but it fizzles out a lot like it fizzles really quickly because there's um just from exhaustion i would say it is that what is that what that is Resignation is, I can't remember the number. It was sometime either early this year or sometime last year where just like over, I want to say it was over a million people just according to federal government, like numbers, quit their job or resigned from their job. And a large part of it does have to do with just employee dissatisfaction you know, not earning enough, not being able to make, you know, ends meet in whatever way, not having great health insurance, you know, this, that, and the other, you name it. Um, and so it also comes off the tails of COVID with all of that. So it, it has to do with that. Um, but it's a large movement, pretty much like millennials and younger are the main ones behind it. Okay, that makes sense. Also, now I kind of feel silly because in the title there's resignation, but I guess well, they're both kind of tied to each other because uh, recently we did a episode that we're going to um, going to be put out shortly of interviewing a local um, uh, professor historian, uh, Dr. Hayes, and one thing we were we were mostly talking about like um, history, right? But we got on the topics of unions and stuff like that, and the two things uh, in their opinion, and I'm I am paraphrasing. So don't come for me, y'all. And even if you listen to this, don't come for me. But one of the main things uh, when we asked him why he thought that, like, you know, if he had any hunches on why in the past organizing was more successful, the two main things or few main things he said was there was more face-to-face -face sociability. Uh, there was more of a grassroots culture. And also there was less, I mean, obviously work is hard during history as well, but uh, there was less exhaustion and also uh, right now we have like a lack of a coherent cultural message. And so I say all those things to kind of point out, like, I feel like with 
both what you just explained, like with people just like leaving their jobs way more than before. And also with, we're seeing a spike up in unions. This isn't like the most unions we've ever had in the history of the States, but we're seeing a spike up in it. I think that has to do with people kind of being like fed up with these things. But I, I will say, I feel like the things that Dr. Hayes had mentioned about like face-to-face sociability and um, like us having like more of a culture of like unions being normalized and stuff. I think why it might be hard for more people to like want to stay at a place and unionize rather than like, okay, I'm just going to try to find something like a work from home job or something is like before the, uh, before the Panini, there was like, we, I would say before the Panini, it was like face-to-face sociability wasn't as much of a thing. Like it's definitely not a thing post 2020. Like, you know, people are starting to hang out and stuff more, but I think what I'm, I guess, okay, I'm trying to get my thoughts together, but I guess like there's this, in my mind, I feel like concept that it should be easier to organize and rally people all around to do something because we have social media and we're like so much connected that way. But if you don't have a lot of face-to-face time, it's hard to actually do those things because if you, for example, wanted to unionize your job, but you had a work from home job and like you were speaking digitally the way we are now over a call, like your company could be listening to you at any time. And same thing of like in-person stores with cameras and stuff, but realistically, they're probably not. You're probably just working and talking, but you have a chance to see those people and help organize. Um, I guess what I'm saying, or I guess asking is, do you think the two things I mentioned or that, you know, we kind of got from Dr. Hayes about less face-to-face sociability and then the kind of culture of grassroots uh things like that do you think that affects like workers on the whole who might be trying to unionize does it is that a coherent (laughs) question yeah okay so i do think face-to-face interaction definitely helps right i think social media helps as well um, I think it also can be a hindrance at times um, because I think when you're doing it face to face, you're 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 speaking to someone, you can see their facial expressions, you can talk to them about the things that matter to them. But there's also this, you know, you're just talking to someone as a fellow human being, whereas when you're online, it's a faceless picture to another faceless picture. And yeah, you may know each other because you work together but it's still just a faceless picture. It takes away the emotion, the sentiment, the the personality of it all. I don't know if that answers your question. Yeah, I, mean, well, I think, oh, go ahead. I think also to piggyback off of that, uh, when it comes to the Pangeo we were just in and still are in, um, I think that uh, not having uh, social interaction for like, one year for a lot of people because you know no one really cared about lockdowns but anyway that's besides the point uh not having social interaction for any amount of time i think uh when you get that back you realize how much you valued it for at least a lot of people and so um you feel more more weight in collectivism than you used to once feel because you would take that social interaction for granted so i think that is also part of the reason that uh you know, unionization is starting to 
you know, the rate at least, not the total amount of unions, but the rate at which we, people are unionizing is starting to increase is because uh, they feel more power and collectivism than they once felt before because they know what it's like to be isolated from everyone. And that's, it might not even be true. I might just be saying something out of my butt, but you know, it, well, I, I it, it would at least make sense to me. I have a bit of a sobering fact. Um, I, I don't remember the exact numbers on this, but I heard this from uh, C. Derek Barn, who he's he's like a um, he was an editor at Zero Book for a while. Uh, he's like a I don't know. He's an internet guy, personality Marxist, whatever. Um, but he was talking about how even though these service sector economies, the it is an increased rate um, of of unionization. And there's other sectors too, like I don't know if y'all remember the the teacher unions and all those sort of things that were popping off there for a minute. Um, even though there are sectors of the economy that have that are undergoing increased rates of unionization, the total overall rate of unionization has gone down, and the overall rate of like unions becoming like defunct or busted is going up. So like a lot of unions are just like falling by the wayside. Um, and it's really just in these like specific sectors, you know, like Amazon, Starbucks, teachers, sort those sort of things where unions are really taking off. And and it's not enough to compensate for the the kind of like other unions that are kind of falling apart. As, at least that's what he was saying. I, I don't know uh, source on that, but he normally is pretty good about his sources. So, I mean, I'll, I'll look it up, though, and put it in the show notes. Another, like, pretty, I would say, <laughs> this is a more succinct question I have. You said that, you know, basically the bargaining is being halted on the side of Starbucks. Do you, and this might seem like obvious, it's, because it's not super obvious to me. Do you know why that is? Like, why they're doing that? Um, They're hoping... Uh, at least what it seems like is that they're hoping that if they can delay the bargaining process as long as possible, then you get enough turnover in the store to force a recount because that is within their rights to eventually do if they can find a way to justify it. Um, and also it's to make people lose faith in the union and feel like that they're regretting it. So they're more willing to not vote for it again. Is there anything you can do to force them to come to the bargaining table? Um, Jason can tell you more about that, but as far as I know, um, it's more up to Starbucks Workers United to, uh, provide either, you know, lawyer things. And then there are stuff that there's stuff that we can do, like do protests or whatever to, um, get them to realize that we're kind of fed up with their shit. But, you know, also sorry if we can't curse on the podcast, but you know, you can say whatever fucking shit you want to say. <laughs> say, say uh, it's like say 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 the c word and uh, we'll bleep it out later i'll make i'll make my producer bleep it out just kidding you, you, know, cut? you said it okay. <laughs> yeah you could say anything you want uh but no promises that you're not going to get canceled for it uh this is ah, we, we right. have no no protections that we can offer <laughs> i'll just deactivate my social media that's what uh jordan peterson did yeah, wow, what a wild ride he's been on. <laughs> so, but yeah, Jason could tell you more about what we can do, but as far as I know, that's our uh, recourse. I mean, Jake is saying I can tell you more, but like he just said what I was going to say. So, essentially, Starbucks Workers United can like 
they can file with the NLRB and the NLRB, the National Labor Relations Board, can file charges against Starbucks for prolonging bargaining. Um, other than that, our end, yeah, protest, hold strong, and just keep going. Um, the biggest thing, though, is definitely protesting. Um, and that's, that's just the tricky one. I mean, I know we're on podcast, but I will say it on podcast or off podcast. If you need some people power, we'll get you some people power. Even if that people power is just uh, me and Andy. <laughs> like, you know, if you need help with that, because I mean, I know, I think I know tons of people would want to help and do some direct action is like protesting outside of the Starbucks and, you know, whatever. Like, just let us know if there's any, any way we can help in, in that, because I think it's, I mean, I think corporations in general are very, they're very strategic in everything they do, but I think they can get really shady and they don't expect people to fight back. They really expect like what y'all said would happen is like, okay, by, by the time they're ready, it's just like enough people have left, whether they were just working at part-time or like a seasonal job or they, they've working there for two years, but they decided to move on to something else. And they, they're wanting a recount. They're wanting something else. And the thing is, I bet you, if they want to recount, we could listen, y'all could do it again. Like, I don't, I don't, but I don't think it should have to be that drawn out, especially when it's pretty clear they're trying to draw it out. Well, I, I did, there were multiple times throughout the entire process of unionization that I could kind of tell that they didn't realize what they were getting into when they picked a fight with us on certain things. So like, um, I don't think they expected us to be as collectively strong as we were when they did some of their union busting tactics. Um, and they didn't expect us to have such a visceral reaction to some of them. And also they kept trying to spread misinformation. Like even recently, uh, I remember there was a uh, piece of paper that they had put out where they were talking about who can receive raises and who can't. And I could tell that they made it as intentionally vaguely worded as possible to make it seem like uh, you nice people couldn't get raises, even though it literally said that we could get raises. But the Senate started out with no, because they were trying to like, I'm assuming that's something they sent out to like every Starbucks or whatever to try and get people to be scared of joining a union. So they like, in case they're, you know, brain rot from working at Starbucks is too strong and they don't have the reading comprehension skills while they're at work to read through the BS then. But yeah, I, I, I could definitely tell they weren't expecting such strength in numbers as our store had. And it was kind of nice to watch. Do y'all, do y'all have meetings with your union where you go over uh, collectively and like read that kind of like uh, anti-union uh, literature that they put out and kind of like talk about it amongst yourselves or anything like that? Um, when it comes to anti-union lecture, like literature, uh, a lot of the times I, I don't, I haven't personally talked to the union yet. Uh, Jason has been, uh, besides the survey that they sent out to see what we wanted. Uh, we haven't really had a direct line of dialogue. It's all been through Jason, but as far as amongst ourselves, that's what the committee's for is to, you know, quell the spread of misinformation. So any single anytime there's some uh you know bullshit document that they put out uh saying some crap about us not being able to get basic benefits uh we'll jump in quickly and say hey no that's no that's not true that's <laughs> you're going to be able to get what you want you're going to be able to get you're not losing anything uh so 
it doesn't come from the union. It comes from the the bargaining committee, the 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 committee that we have of just workers that work there. Word. Is there anything else that either of y'all want to say on this the subject of uh we were talking about the negotiations? Anything else that y'all want to say on that? That like the negotiations are going to come up and what y'all are going to do about them potentially. Say to piggyback on what Jake was saying, we only haven't really had any communication from the union directly with the with everyone at the store just because it is located in Atlanta, and I know that's not saying much, but like it's harder to organize that when you got one party that's in Atlanta and the other party you have to work around their working schedules. Um, oh yeah. The other part of that is. When it comes to misinformation, like the, the everything hasn't really stopped, right? Like, so we have a new manager. Um, our new manager, she's um, I've known her before. She's she's great as like just a person, but as a Starbucks manager, she is very customer and standards focused. And so I put up some signs in the back of house, which is technically our break room also our inventory room, but it was just communication from the union and she took them down and said they can't be up because there were some inaccuracies. There are no inaccuracies. Everything's pulled from federal government websites. Um, she said that the wine garden sheet was misleading and would lead partners to think that they couldn't have any type of conversation with her, which made no sense because it clearly outlines what kind of conversations the wine garden rights would be used for and then the last one was <sighs> it's not official Starbucks communication I don't know if I said that one already but then like when she and I were having a conversation about it everything was it was my opinion not <laughs> not that it was federal you know like federal law federal government websites that provided all of this information it was it's your it's your opinion, you have a right to your opinion, but they can't be up because they're not official Starbucks and they're inaccuracies. So it's just, so she's just like blatantly violating the law there, right? I mean, at that point, it seems like the NLRB could just have a field day, right? I assume. Essentially, at that point, what she's openly admitting to is that, one, they're not going to allow union communication. And given that Starbucks has anti-union communication in the store and Starbucks gets to communicate directly with the partners every single day, given that we are union employees, the union should be able to communicate with us every single day as well, even if it is just pieces of paper on the fridge. Um, but not only that, she's signaling that she doesn't plan to do her job with the new added component which is really simple communicate with the union you want to fire someone all right cool that is your right they are starbucks employees but yes they are also union members so you need to communicate with the union that hey this member of yours i want to terminate but she doesn't want to do that part so we're, we're talking about our options now um so i'll keep y'all posted if we Go any further with be it a protest or anything else. Yeah, and I'll say that it's been great to have the union's backing. 
uh, it might have come across as if they were like very you know disconnected but as jason said there are there are so many obstacles to actually getting to be able to communicate with 30 people inside a store who all work at different times and who all have different schedules so that's the reason for the proxy but um they've been great at uh you know providing support for us and you know with the manager turnover that we've had uh ever since we went forward with unionization and all the crap we've had to deal with uh they've been great at you know providing guidance and giving us steps for recourse and stuff and to uh let us know what our legal obligations or legal rights were because it is it is easy to lose track of that sometimes because you're kind of so used to being oppressed by you know your employer that you don't realize that it's actually illegal once you're unionized for them to do some of the things they do so yeah um, I just want to say to anybody, any, any of our listeners, I think we have two right now, um, and anybody who's listening to the show after it gets posted, um, we do accept questions. We will try to answer every single question. We are small enough that I think I can say I guarantee you your question will be answered because <laughs> you'll probably day, be the only one asking. No, listen, what, just because you said that, now we're going to have 200 listeners in one day. And then you ain't going to be able hey. to answer the questions. Hey, we'll just have to do a special episode where I just answer <laughs> questions. <laughs> I'm going to just read all of them. And I'm not going to answer anything. Um, yeah. I have, I have, a, this is not a question. This is a thing I saw. I saw this after we did record, after we recorded the first episode with Jason. And I thought it was funny. I was just on Instagram, you know, mining my artsy business. And I saw a Starbucks ad and it was like an accessibility ad. And it had, um, it features a, a woman who is deaf and um, she's like, I don't, she works for corporate. I really didn't understand what they were trying to say, but I think they were trying to like Starbucks is uh, being more accessible. But then people in the comments were like, cool. Anyway, let the workers unionize. Almost every comment was like, that's great. But anyway, why don't you care about like people with disabilities who are working at your store who want to unionize? It was really interesting because I don't know if it's taken down now or if the comments are taken off. I don't know. But when I looked at it, there was about 30 comments and almost all of them were like, oh, this is a great that thing that you're doing. You love accessibility. But anyway, do you not care about, like, you know, like, and I thought it was really interesting. I just, I didn't know if either of y'all saw it, but I thought it kind of, um, it shed a light on something that I mentioned in the first part of this podcast or the first episode part, which was the kind of like progressive messaging that not only people view about Starbucks, but Starbucks pushes out. It's similar to, you know, places like Target and et cetera, where I don't think, I mean, I think, I, not I think, I know a lot of the people who work there do have these views that are not just progressive, but they like care about different types of people and all this stuff. But it's really hard when a company will put that as their image. But then as soon as there's talks about unions, as soon as there's talk about rights, they're kind of like, I pretend I do not see it. You know what I mean? Um, so <laughs> I just wanted to know if y'all had any thoughts on that or if y'all happened to see that ad. Oh yeah, for sure. Like I, on like all of Starbucks, like every single time I see something from Starbucks pop up on my Twitter because Twitter has a little ad algorithm. It thinks I actually like Starbucks as a drink and that I don't just work there. Um, <laughs> I mean, we got some good ones, but like, come on now. Anyway, um, I'll, I'll look at those ads and I'll see like Instagram posts from Starbucks and I, the social media attention or just the media in general, I guess news is part of that. Um, the attention that the unionization effort within the Starbucks corporation has gotten 
has led to their social media being overrun with pro-union messaging. And I think that's kind of cool. It's kind of funny. But when it comes to when it comes to their, you know, progressive um, facade, uh, that was actually something I brought up uh, in one of the first meetings after our, you know, longtime manager was fired. I brought up how um, Starbucks has this sort of facade at being a left leaning progressive corporation that cares for LGBTQ rights and uh, provides assistance for, you know, differently abled people. And then they do things like take away some of our perks that we got during COVID while COVID was still going on because it cost them too much money, I presume, and not paying us more and stuff like that. And it, it, it was not in line with their, you know, uh, messaging about who they were as a corporation. And um, that was, it was fun to bring that up to, to, you know, people who were higher up at Starbucks, I must say. <laughs> yeah. You talking about their, uh, their kind of image that they try to maintain. It reminds me of this uh, kind of like, like Slavo Zizek. Uh, he's a Slovenian like Marxist uh, Hegelian. Uh, he he talks about. He actually uses Starbucks a lot to illustrate this point. Um, he always talks about like how if you go to like Starbucks is like the spitting image of like how ideology works in the modern like like uh, capitalist uh, context. He says that, you know, you go to you go to Starbucks and you buy you buy coffee, right? And the coffee's supposed to be it's like fair trade, and you know it's supposed to be good for the environment. It's supposed to be like organic. It's good for you. Blah blah. And so basically, instead of actually doing anything to change society, to change the system, to ch- change any kind of real material relations, you're just continuing to do the same thing that the society has already like normalized, which is just, you just consume and by consuming, um, you're somehow, because you bought the right thing, uh, you're, you're creating an ethical society through your consumption habits. And what this does is it substitutes activism out and it puts in place consumerism, which continues capitalist relations, right? Like if, if we if we go to work and then we go buy stuff, uh, we're, we're continuing to make money and profits for corporations, which are the cause of the problems that we're, face, that we're dealing with in the first place. And so even though, yeah, maybe Starbucks did something marginally better on the edges of some kind of like fair trade coffee thing or something, they still are, like we've been talking about in this entire interview, they're union busting the workers. Uh, they, they're, you know, at the very least, they're if nothing else, they're exploiting their work, their workers for wages, you know, or for for profits, you know, and, and paying them uh, wage labor and all that sort of thing. And so, um, that is going to be the end of the episode, though. Um, we appreciate uh, the Starbucks Union for coming on here today. Um, uh, I don't know what else I should record for an outro. <laughs> uh, Key, does Key want to say anything? So thank you guys so much for listening. Um, if you want to get us, get at us uh, at any time, well, not any time, but you know, it's an email. It's uh, therottencorepod at gmail.com. Thanks so much for listening and we will talk to y'all soon.